Section 39 of A Popular History of France, Volume 5. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Popular History of France from the Earliest Times, Volume 5, by François Guizot. Translated by Robert Black. Chapter 43. Louis the Fourteenth, the Fronde, and the Government of Cardinal Mazarin. Part 2. There was already a great tumult in the streets when he arrived at the Palais Royal. The people were shouting, quote, Bruxelles, Bruxelles, end quote. The coadjutor was accompanied by Marshal La Mairie, and both of them reported the excitement amongst the people. The queen grew angry, quote, There is revolt in imagining that there can be revolt, she said. These are the ridiculous stories of those who desire it. The king's authority will soon restore order, end quote. Then, as old M. de Guiteau, who had just come in, supported the coadjutor, and said that he did not understand how anybody could sleep in the state in which things were, the cardinal asked him, with some slight irony, quote, Well, M. de Guiteau, and what is your advice? Quote, My advice, said Guiteau, is to give up that old rascal of a Bruxelles, dead or alive. Quote, the former, replied the coadjutor, would not accord with either the queen's piety or her prudence. The latter might stop the tumult. End quote. At this word the queen blushed, and exclaimed, quote, I understand you, Mr. Coadjutor, and you would have me set Bruxelles at liberty. I would strangle him with these hands first. Quote, and as she finished the last syllable, she put them close to my face, says de Retz, adding, And those who... The cardinal advanced and whispered in her ear. End quote. Advices of a more and more threatening character continued to arrive, and at last it was resolved to promise that Bruxelles should be set at liberty, provided that the people dispersed and ceased to demand it tumultuously. The coadjutor was charged to proclaim this concession throughout Paris. He asked for a regular order, but was not listened to. Quote, the queen had retired to her little grey room. Monseigneur pushed me very gently with his two hands, saying, Restore the peace of the realm. Marshal Maillaret drew me along, and so I went out with my Rochet and Camel, bestowing benedictions right and left. But this occupation did not prevent me from making all the reflections suitable to the difficulty in which I found myself. The impetuosity of Marshal Maillaret did not give me opportunity to weigh my expressions. He advanced sword in hand, shouting with all his might, Hurrah for the King! Liberation for Bruxelles! As he was seen by many more folks than heard him, he provoked with his sword far more people than he appeased with his voice. The tumult increased. There was a rush to arms on all sides. The coadjutor was felled to the ground by a blow from a stone. He had just picked himself up when a burgess put his musket to his head. Quote, Though I did not know him a bit, says Retz, I thought it would not be well to let him suppose so at such a moment. On the contrary, I said to him, Ah, wretch, if thy father saw thee! He thought I was the best friend of his father, on whom, however, I had never set eyes. The coadjutor was recognized, and the crowd pressed round him, dragging him to the market-place. He kept repeating everywhere that, quote, the queen promised to restore Bruxelles. The flippers laid down their arms, and thirty or forty thousand men accompanied him to the Palais Royal. Quote, said Marshal Maillaret as he entered, here is he to whom I owe my life, and your majesty the safety of the Palais Royal. The queen began to smile. Quote, the marshal flew into a passion, and said with an oath, Madame, no proper man can venture to flatter you in the state in which things are, and if you do not this very day set Bruxelles at liberty, to-morrow there will not be left one stone upon another in Paris. I wished to speak in support of what the marshal said, but the queen cut me short, saying with an air of raillery, Go and rest yourself, sir, you have worked very hard. End quote. The coadjutor left the Palais Royal, quote, in what is called a rage, end quote. 
and he was in a greater one in the evening, when his friends came and told him that he was being made fun of at the Queen's supper-table, that she was convinced that he had done all he could to increase the tumult, that he would be the first to be made a great example of, and that the Parliament was about to be interdicted. Paul de Gondy had not waited for their information to think of revolt. Quote, I did not reflect as to what I could do, says he, for I was quite certain of that. I reflected only as to what I ought to do, and I was perplexed. End quote. The jests and the threats of the court appeared to him to be sufficient justification. Quote, what effectually stopped my scruples was the advantage I imagined I had in distinguishing myself from those of my profession by a state of life in which there was something of all professions. In disorderly times things lead to a confusion of species, and the vices of an archbishop may, in an infinity of conjunctures, be the virtues of a party leader. End quote. The coadjutor recalled his friends. Quote, we are not in such bad case as you supposed, gentlemen, he said to them. There is an intention of crushing the public. It is for me to defend it from oppression. Tomorrow, before midday, I shall be master of Paris. End quote. For some time past the coadjutor had been laboring to make himself popular in Paris. The general excitement was only waiting to break out, and when the Chancellor's carriage appeared in the streets in the morning, on the way to the Palace of Justice, the people, secretly worked upon during the night, all at once took up arms again. The Chancellor had scarcely time to seek refuge in the Hôtel de Luynne. The mob rushed in after him, pillaging and destroying the furniture, whilst the Chancellor, flying for refuge into a small chamber, and believing his last hour had come, was confessing to his brother, the Bishop of Meaux. He was not discovered, and the crowd moved off in another direction. Quote, it was like a sudden and violent conflagration lighted up from the Pont Neuf over the whole city. Everybody without exception took up arms. Children of five and six years of age were seen dagger in hand, and the mothers themselves carried them. In less than two hours they were in Paris more than two hundred barricades, bordered with flags and all the arms that the League had left entire. Everybody cried, Hurrah for the king, but the echo answered, None of your Mazarin. The coadjutor kept himself shut up at home, protesting his powerlessness. The Parliament had met at an early hour. The Palace of Justice was surrounded by an immense crowd, shouting, quote, Bruxelles, Bruxelles. The Parliament resolved to go in a body and demand of the Queen the release of their members arrested the day before. Quote, we set out in full court, says the Premier President Mollet, without sending, as the custom is, to ask the Queen to appoint a time, the ushers in front with their square caps and a foot. From this spot, as far as the Trawar Cross, we found the people in arms and barricades thrown up at every hundred paces. Memoir de Mathieu Mollet, page 255. Quote, if it were not blasphemy to say that there was any one in our age more intrepid than the great Gustavus and the prince, I should say it was M. Mollet, Premier President, writes Cardinal Loretz. Sincerely devoted to the public weal, and a magistrate to the very bottom of his soul, Mollet nevertheless inclined towards the side of power, and understood better than his brethren the danger of factions. He represented to the Queen the extreme danger the sedition was causing to Paris and to France. Quote, she, who feared nothing because she knew but little, flew into a passion and answered furiously, I am quite aware that there is disturbance in the city, but you shall answer to me for it, gentlemen of the Parliament, you, your wives, and your children. Quote, the Queen was pleased, says Mollet, in his dignified language, to signify in terms of wrath that the magisterial body should be answerable for the evils which might ensue, and which the King on reaching his majority would remember. End quote. The Queen had retired to her room, slamming the door violently. The Parliament turned back to the Palace of Justice. The angry mob thronged about the magistrates. 
When they arrived at Rue Saint-Honoré, just as they were about to turn on to the Pont Neuf, a band of armed men fell upon them, quote, and a cook-shop lad, advancing at the head of two hundred men, thrust his halberd against the premier president's stomach, saying, Turn, traitor, and if thou wouldst not thyself be slain, give up to us Broussel, or Mazarin and the Chancellor as hostages. End quote. Matthew Molay quietly put the weapon aside and said, quote, You forget yourself, he said, and are oblivious of the respect you owe to my office. Quote, Thrice an effort was made to thrust me into a private house, says his account in his memoir, but I still kept my place, and attempts having been made with swords and pistols on all sides of me to make an end of me, God would not permit it, some of the members, or monsieur, and some true friends having placed themselves in front of me. I told President de Mem that there was no other plan but to return to the Palais Royal, and thither take back the body, which was much diminished in numbers, five of the presidents having dropped away, and also many of the members on whom the people had inflicted unworthy treatment. Quote, Thus, having given himself time to rally as many as he could of the body, and still preserving the dignity of the magistracy both in his words and in his movements, the premier president returned at a slow pace to the Palais Royal, amidst a running fire of insults, threats, execrations, and blasphemies. Memoir de Retz. The whole court had assembled in the gallery. Mollet spoke first. Quote, this man, says Retz, had a sort of eloquence peculiar to himself. He knew nothing of apostrophes, he was not correct in his language, but he spoke with a force which made up for all that, and he was naturally so bold that he never spoke so well as in the midst of peril. Monsieur made as if he would throw himself on his knees before the queen, who remained inflexible. Four or five princesses, who were trembling with fear, did throw themselves at her feet. The queen of England, who had come that day from Saint-Germain, represented that the troubles had never been so serious at their commencement in England, nor the feeling so heated or united. Histoire du temps, 1647-1648. Archive Curieuse, page 162. At last the cardinal made up his mind. He, quote, had been roughly handled in the queen's presence by the presidents and councillors in their speeches, some of them telling him in mockery that he had only to give himself the trouble of going as far as the Pont Neuf to see for himself the state in which things were, end quote. And he joined with all those present in entreating Anne of Austria. Finally, the release of Broussel was extorted from her, quote, not without a deep sigh, which showed what violence she did her feelings in the struggle. Quote, we returned in full court by the same road, says Matthew Mollet, and the people demanding, with confused clamour of voices, whether M. Broussel were at liberty, we gave them assurances thereof, and entered by the back door of my lodging. Before crossing the threshold, I took leave of Presidents de Mem and Le Coigneux, and waited until the members had passed, testifying my sentiments of gratitude for that they had been unwilling to separate until they had seen to the security of my person, which I had not at all deserved, but such was their good pleasure. After this business, which had lasted from six in the morning until seven o'clock, there was need of rest, seeing that the mind had been agitated amidst so many incidents, and not a morsel had been tasted. Memoir de Mathieu Mollet, page 265. Broussel had taken his seat in the Parliament again. The Prince of Condé had just arrived in Paris. He did not like the Cardinal, but he was angry with the Parliament, which he considered imprudent and insolent. Quote, they are going ahead, said he. If I were to go ahead with them, I should perhaps do better for my own interests, but my name is Louis de Bourbon, and I do not wish to shake the throne. These devils of square caps, are they mad about bringing me either to commence a civil war before long, or to put a rope round their own necks, and place over their heads and over mine own an adventurer from Sicily, who will be the ruin of us all in the end? 
I will let the Parliament plainly see that they are not where they suppose, and that it would not be a hard matter to bring them to reason. The coadjutor, to whom he thus expressed himself, answered that quote, the cardinal might possibly be mistaken in his measures, and that Paris would be a hard nut to crack. End quote. Whereupon the prince rejoined angrily, quote, It will not be taken, like Dunkirk, by mining and assaults, but if the bread of Gonesse were to fail them for a week. End quote. The coadjutor took the rest as said. Some days afterwards, during the night between the 5th and 6th of January, 1649, the queen, with a little king and the whole court, set out at four a.m. from Paris for the castle of Saint-Germain, empty, unfurnished, as was then the custom in the king's absence, where the courtiers had great difficulty in finding a bundle of straw. Quote, the queen had scarcely a bed to lie upon, says Mademoiselle de Montpensier, but never did I see any creature so gay as she was that day. Had she won a battle, taken Paris, and had all who had displeased her hanged, she could not have been more so, and nevertheless she was very far from all that. Paris was left to the malcontents. Everybody was singing, quote, A frondly wind got up to-day, against Mazarin, it howls, they say. On the 8th of January, the Parliament of Paris, all the chambers in assembly, issued a decree whereby Cardinal Mazarin was declared an enemy to the king and the state, and a disturber of the public peace, and injunctions were laid upon all subjects of the king to hunt him down. War was declared. Scarcely had it begun when the greatest lords came flocking to the popular side. On the departure of the court for Saint-Germain, the Duchess of Longueville had remained in Paris. Her husband and her brother, the Prince of Conti, were not slow in coming to look after her. And already the Duke of Elbeuf, of the House of Lorraine, had offered his services to the Parliament. Levies of troops were beginning in the city, and the command of the forces was offered to the Prince of Conti. The Dukes of Bouillon and Beaufort, and Marshal de la Motte, likewise embraced the party of revolt. The duchesses of Longueville and Bouillon established themselves with their children at the Hôtel de Ville as hostages given by the fronde of princes to the fronde of the people. The parliaments of Esch and Rouen made common cause with that of Paris. A decree ordered the seizure, in all the exchequers of the kingdom, of the royal monies, in order that they might be employed for the general defence. Every evening Paris wore a festive air. There was dancing at the Hôtel de Ville, and the gentlemen who had been skirmishing during the day around the walls came for recreation in the society of the princesses. Quote, this commingling of blue scarfs, of ladies, of cuirasses, of violins in the hall, and of trumpets in the square, offered a spectacle which is oftener seen in romances than elsewhere. Memoire du Cardinal de Retz Affairs of gallantry were mixed up with the most serious resolves. Madame de Longueville was of the fronde because she was in love with Monsieur de Marcillac, afterwards Duke of La Rochefoucauld, and he was on bad terms with Cardinal Mazarin. Meanwhile, war was rumbling round Paris. The post of Charenton, fortified by the frondeurs, had been taken by the Prince of Condé at the head of the King's troops. The Parliament was beginning to perceive its mistake, and desired to have peace again, but the great lords engaged in the contest aspired to turn it to account. They had already caused the gates of Paris to be closed against a herald sent by the Queen, to recall her subjects to their duty. They were awaiting the army of Germany, commanded by M. de Turenne, whom his brother, the Duke of Bouillon, had drawn into his culpable enterprise. Nay, more, they had begun to negotiate with Spain, and they brought up to the Parliament a pretended envoy from Archduke Leopold, but the court refused to receive him. Quote, "'What, sir?' said President de Mem, turning to the Prince of Conti. Is it possible that a prince of the blood of France should propose to give a seat upon the fleur-de-lis to a deputy from the most cruel enemy of the fleur-de-lis? 
The Parliament sent a deputation to the Queen, and conferences were opened at Ruel on the 4th of March. The great lords of the Fronde took no part in it. Quote, they contented themselves with having at Saint-Germain low-voiced, or a basse note, secret agents, says Madame de Motteville, commissioned to negotiate in their favour. Paris was beginning to lack bread. It was festival time, and want began to make itself felt. A, quote, complaint of the carnival, end quote, was current amongst the people. Quote, in my extreme affliction yet, I can this consolation get, that at his hands my enemy, old Lent, will fare the same as I, that at the times when people eat, we both shall equal worship meet, thus joining with the whole of France, in war against him a outrance. Grim Lent and festive carnival will fight against the cardinal. End quote. It was against the cardinal, in fact, that all attacks were directed, but the queen remained immovable in her fidelity. Quote, I should be afraid, she said to Madame de Motteville, that if I were to let him fall, the same thing would happen to me that happened to the King of England, Charles I had just been executed, and that after he had been driven out, my turn would come. End quote. Grain had found its way into Paris during the truce, and when on the 13th of March the Premier President Mollet and the other negotiators returned to Paris, bringing the peace which they had signed at Ruel, they were greeted with furious shouts, quote, None of your peace, none of your Mazarin. We must go to Saint-Germain to seek our good king. We must fling into the river all the Mazarin. End quote. A rioter had just laid his hand on the Premier President's arm, quote, when you have killed me, said the latter calmly, I shall only want six feet of earth, end quote. and when he was advised to get back into his house by way of the record offices, quote, the court never hides itself, he said, if I were certain to perish I would not commit this poltroonery, which, moreover, would but serve to give courage to the rioters. They would, of course, come after me to my house if they thought that I shrank from them here, end quote. The deputies of the Parliament were sent back to Ruel, taking a statement of the claims of the great lords, quote, according to their memorials, they demanded the whole of France, end quote. Memoire de Madame de Motteville, page 247. End of section 39.